get started this morning, if you would open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, uh, the fourth chapter and the second verse. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. We've been uh, taking a look at uh, uh, life in the last days. And it's quite interesting whenever we consider whether or not we're in the last days, what's really going on. Is this fact-based or is this fantasy-based or what is this uh, wild-eyed speculation like's happened throughout the church age or is this, is this based on fact? And uh, there are plenty of facts to support um, the fact that we are in the last days. <clears throat> Before we start, we're going to take just a moment to prepare ourselves uh, to look into the Word of God. This is... Uh, uh, this is one of the key verses for pastors everywhere by interpretation, but by application, it also refers to us. It is an application to every, every person that doesn't hold particular office or anything else because he's writing young Timothy, interpretation, he's writing to pastors. No problem with that, but by application, we're all supposed to be preachers of the word and proclaimers of the word, and so he's going to give us some... Uh, ideas here and he's going to give us some very clear direction before so before we begin let's take this moment for prayer get ourselves ready to study let's pray father again we thank you for your many blessings for your tests for your opportunities father we thank you for your word that is so amazing and every time we look into it we find all the more Father, we appreciate that, and we pray that what we learn today will indeed nourish our souls, that we may function in a healthy manner within your plan, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the um, I don't know if any of you keep up with current events or anything, but uh, a lot of the current events are, are, um, that are going on are not necessarily revolving around Ukraine. Ukraine is a... Uh, Obviously, things going on there that are not good, and uh, uh, obviously not good. Uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of a guy named Klaus Schwab. Um, anybody heard of him? Okay. Klaus Schwab is not related to Charles Schwab by any way that we can find out, the guy that's got the investment firm and all those things. This is a, a guy that is German. He is um, uh, uh, very rich, one of these rich people like George Soros. He calls for a one-world government. And you say, well, a lot of people could do that, but some people have the power and the desire to try and bring that about. And he thinks this is really, uh, actually, he's calling for um, uh, a taking over of the world by the by a joint capitalism, a new type of capitalism that includes the government and the corporations, the major corporations. And he wants them working together where the government no longer regulates the corporations. They work together to bring about this one world order. And he's been after that and he calls it the fourth industrial revolution. Now, Rabbi Berger, who is the rabbi of David's tomb on Mount Zion, it's he said it's interesting. He no noted this uh, fourth industrial revolution because it's uh, 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 the rabbi cited the book of Daniel, and he believes that it is the, the fourth beast on the earth. So the rabbi is saying this is what it looks like. 
as we look at things and look at what he's promoting and asking for, this is a, um, it, it's very clear that it's playing into the, to the things of the last days. It's very clear what is going on. He uh, wrote a book uh, his, uh, about COVID. He calls it COVID-19, The Great Reset. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the Great Reset or not. It's one of those code words that seems to slip in from time to time. But he describes the pandemic as a rare opportunity. Uh, he says, as, as it happens, he said, it is an opportunity for us to take more and more control and to bring this about. He is one of those who believes that the earth should be limited to one billion people. Now, in order to get there, you have to get rid of five to six billion off of this planet. This ties into some other things we've seen in Georgia, Georgia Guidestones, etc. So, <clears throat> it's, he wrote the book called The Great Reset. He is, uh, this thing is called a stakeholder capitalism. I misquoted it earlier. It's about merging the government's and the major corporations together into a global entity. In fact, part of what he wants to do, uh, and he wrote about in his book, he wrote about, well, we need to tear down the existing structure and build back better. I don't know if you've ever heard that before in the news, but uh, that's what he would like to do. Uh, he believes the globalized world's the best management best managed by a self-selected coalition of multinational corporations, governments, select civil society organizations, and he asks, adds that governments are no longer the overwhelmingly dominant factors on the world stage. He is also in favor of genetic engineering. So this guy is evil to the core is what it amounts to. He's just evil to the core. He is, uh, uh, it says, what religion is he? Nobody knows. Few details are known about his life. Uh, but he, uh, uh, he and Pope Francis have actually been uh, working together with several events. He's the founder of the World Economic Forum, the WEF. So if you see that, this is who it is talking about. Now, it's interesting that, well, everybody was worried about the slap that Will Smith put on on uh, whoever it was. Um, anyway, and that's all you could get in the news is stupid stuff like that. Grow up, go outside, you know, <laughs> or <laughs> grow up and don't go outside. Figure it out. That was absolutely silly, but think of how much news me that that covered. The, the international elitists were meeting at the World Government Summit, including Klaus Schwab, where they all got together and decided that they would talk about certain things as as this. And one of the things they want to do is eliminate bureaucracy through technology. And they want to uh, get rid of all the, the red tape and everything else that goes on. But usually what happens, it's oftentimes, if you ever noticed what they promote is not what's really going on. They promote just the opposite. Because, boy, doesn't it sound neat to eliminate bureaucracy? Now, what it's going to do is install more control through technology. They like the, the, to be able to censor that which does not agree with them. They move for, they want this cryptocurrency to move in. They want world governments to do that. Um, another interesting article 
is that evangelical Muslim and Jewish leaders all commit to working together. That's one of the things. Islam is supposedly one of the new coming things in Christianity, and people are not really interested in uh, what the Bible has to say. Fewer and fewer people care about that. All they want to do is go to church and feel good whenever they leave, and hopefully it'll last till the next time they go to church. And that's what they're that's what they're looking for. That's part of why the world's in such a problem, because it's not just here. The United States, I think, is the poster child for it, but it's not just here. It's the same all over the world. I talk to pastors all over the world, and they <clears throat> they find the same thing. And sadly, a lot of the pastors have gotten into that. They don't want to do anything or say anything that somebody might get upset with them and leave and go somewhere else because it's all about the money, honey. That's the way that they, they work it. Now... <clears throat> Why are we looking at this about how to live in the last days? Because we already saw in chapter 3, things are going to go from bad to worse. Okay? It doesn't mean that individual victories can't be won. We, we must never forget that. Because we're not called to give up. We are called to stand firm. That's what Christians are called to do. And so when Timothy is writing, or being written to, and Paul writes this, he says, look for these 20 things. Beginning in chapter 3, he said people will enter into households, captivating weak women, weighed down by various sins, ever learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And he says they're going to use manipulation. They're going to use it on a a different scale. And when you put it in the context, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the person of God can be adequate for every good work. What do you think the main attack's on? It's on the scripture. It's on the scripture. And people just they they don't even realize it. They don't realize that the Bible is God's revelation to man. The Bible is God's authority. Uh, And I don't know if you um, got to watch that movie, that show I mentioned last week um, about the passion of Christ and and it was uh, narrated by Pat Boone. And if you got to watch it on uh, Newsmax last week, everybody that saw it, it was good. It was really a good representation of what uh, uh, what went on. A fair presentation, I thought, and I imagine there were a couple of bones in it I didn't agree with. But I think uh, if you get a chance to watch it, it would be uh, it would be good to watch. Now in Second Timothy four one. When we move into the next chapter, after the importance of total inspiration of Scripture, it, we find that 2 Timothy 4.1 is a transition. Paul charges Timothy, I charge you in the presence of the God, even Jesus Christ. This is a grammatical rule that sets up an equation. The God, so it says Jesus Christ is the God. He is the God that became flesh. Who is to judge the living and the dead, <clears throat> both spiritually living and and physically living and dead, the, the other opposite, by his appearing and his kingdom. So when he comes to judge, it's going to have something to do with his appearing. We noted there were three appearings that the Lord makes. One was at the first advent. The next one was at the rapture, and the second one at the second advent. So here are the three appearings. And really, that's just kind of a prophetic framework for the church, isn't it? What does communion celebrate? By doing this, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes back. So you're looking at his first appearing and saying he's going to come back. And in the last days, people are going to say, where, where is the promise of his coming? Where is it? And people will say, ever since the fathers fell asleep and its evolution has moved in and people are no longer looking at Christ coming back. Well, he is. And this time he's not real happy about the way things are going. Now, 2 Timothy 4.2 is our marching orders. Is it warm in here to anybody? No? Yes? No? Yes? I shouldn't have asked that. <laughs> okay. Um, I am. <laughs> so we're going to... You better be careful when the preacher takes his coat off. Because the class may run long. <clears throat> Preach. Caruso, beautiful word, means to proclaim something. Preach what? The word. Ho lagos. Ho is the. Lagos is the word for word. And it, it, there's a lot of words. Uh, we were talking this morning. Galen said, yes, kimosabi. And I thought, that's a word without a meaning, isn't it? <laughs> Most words, we, we kind of infer one that the Lone Ranger was indeed the the, the big dog that was out there, but Kimosabi has no equivalent in any Indian language known to man. So it's just Kimosabi, just, you know, got picked up on. So <coughs> words, though, <coughs> including Lagos, means that it's something that has definition to it. It's how we communicate. So if we start speaking words that have no definitions to them, we don't really communicate. We, a lot of us had to memorize Twas Brillig and the Slithy Tobes and Gyre and Jimble and the Wave. Jabberwocky is what it is. And there's not one real word in the whole poem that is there. But we were taught to memorize it for some unknown reason to this day. But he says, preach the word. Lagos, and especially in a Greek mind, and that word that was used there indicated it had content to it, it had definition to it. There was substance behind the word, word. And so, in the beginning was the Word. Preach the Word. Preach about Jesus is a pretty clear picture of what he's saying. Preach the Word. And then it says, be ready. Now, these are commands that are found in here. When you start finding commands in the New Testament, you have to pay attention. So, preach is the aristactive imperative of Caruso, to proclaim something. Be ready is the aristactive imperative of Ephistami. Now, histami means to stand, and epi means over, to stand over something, hence to come from a position of victory. Now, to do that, you have to know what you're talking about. You have to know what you're talking about, and so whenever you are ready to preach the word, okay, it means that you know what you're talking about whenever you do it. And you're coming from an authorization, a divine authorization that says, learn what I've got for you and go tell people about it. Okay? That's, that's what he's saying. That's Christian life, simply put. And he says, in season. <clears throat> this is eukairos. Kairos is the word for season. Uh, it's often translated as time or age or something. But it is different from chronos that looks at time as a succession of events. Kairos looks at time as it relates to certain aspects of that time, like the seasons that we look at. So that's a when it says in season, he says, okay, and the U on the front of it means good. 
So whenever it feels good, at a good time, the word's only used twice, and Mark 14:11 is the other usage of it, and uh, out of season. There's not really an and in that in this uh, Greek text here. It says in season, out of season. I mean, it just cuts it off, makes it real clear. Now, out of season <clears throat> is maybe some of some of you have experienced that before, because this is ah kairos. It takes this adverb, puts an a on the front of it, and says when it's a good time, when it's not a good time. Okay, so he's saying you just be ready. Come from a position of victory. You're on the winning side. And preach the word when you feel like it and when you don't. And uh, I've told the old jokes many times. Some of you may not have heard it, though, about the guy that wakes up on Sunday morning and, and his wife wakes him up and says, Come on, it's time to get up and go to church. And he says, I don't want to go to church today. You just go on without me. And she says, Honey, it's time to get up and go to church. And he said, he said, no, I'm not going to go today. And she said, well, why aren't you going to go today? He said, I don't like them and they don't like me. I'm not going to church. And he says, finally to her, give me one good reason I need to go to church. And she said, because you're the pastor. <laughs> so... You know, it's, to me it's an old joke, but it rings true. I've told that joke in India many times, and the guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes you feel like it, sometimes you don't feel like it, but whenever it's time, you get up and you go, and you do what you're supposed to do. And the Lord always blesses you for that, when you feel like it and when you don't. Reprove is the word legco, and that's the word expose. That's the word it means to, to expose things. You know, we have to expose evil. We have to let the light expose the darkness. We have to call Satan out. Some people don't think he exists. That's the greatest deception that has ever been brought on anybody on mankind. But he definitely does exist and is alive and well on planet earth. So expose, rebuke is the word epitomao. Now it means to put honor or weight upon and hence to charge it's not really used in the sense of honor in the New Testament but placing a weight upon your words tomato means to put weight to okay so what words see the the value Re rebuke says know what you're talking about speak what you're talking about expose the errors don't run from them don't hide from them and put weight on those words that they are indeed important this word's used many times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not used in John, interestingly enough. It's only used here and in Jude 9 outside of the Gospels. But it's a reverbal rebuke that points out the seriousness of the problem. When a Lord rebukes somebody, he was pointing out the seriousness of the problem. Is what's going on in the world right now with this globalistic mindset that's going on? And this uh, uh, one of the ways they're going to do it is this, uh, this Green New Deal. They're going to do away with fossil fuels before they figure out a way to get enough electricity to run the other cars. Isn't that brilliant? I mean, you could give that, that deal to a sixth grader and they could say, we really shouldn't do that, should we? We're all going to be walking a whole lot. Oh, but that's going to be so good for us. 
Well, yeah, it would be good to walk more than we do, I'm sure. But he says, preach it, be ready. Those are the commands. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Another aorist imperative, and I love this word, parakaleo, which means to call alongside. When we're walking with someone in the Christian life, that's what encouragement is. We're not in front of them. There has to be leaders, obviously. And we're not behind them, pushing them. We're walking alongside. And that's what the word encourage means. Hence, it can be translated to comfort, to exhort. It has a variety of legitimate translations. He said, and then what does he do here? He throws in that ringer with great patience and instruction. Makrothemia is the word for patience. And it is a patience toward people. Believe it or not, there's the hupomone is a patience toward circumstances. And makrothemia is a word about patience toward people. And the people test is a big one, uh, quite obviously. With great patience and instruction. Instruction is didache, which is our word for teaching. So it is doctrine with emphasis on what is taught. Being teaching the truth. So preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. So here are five key elements of ministry. They're presented right here. And it's interesting. We, we can get the five. We remember these five, hopefully. Hopefully we can quote this verse. Remember what they, what they are. Five key elements of ministry proclaim the word. Now, <clears throat> it is the word. It is telling us what we, what we need to proclaim. And if we're going to teach it, you've got to know it. Okay? And if you don't bother to learn it, well, then you're just uh, read Hebrews 5.12. By this time, you ought to be teachers. It's what's being written to the, to the Jews there in the book of Hebrews. By this time, i.e. over 1,400 years of having the Mosaic Law, you ought to be teachers. But you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've got to go back to the basics. Some people never learn the basics. Never learn the basics. And, and that is so sad. If you haven't learned the basics, you're going to get flipped every which way by every wind of doctrine. That's just what's going to happen. And that's what we're seeing in a lot of cases around the United States. People are not even paying attention to the doctrine. They're paying more attention to the entertainment. And that's just, that's sad. Proclaim the word. Presume victory. Whenever you stand up and you're carrying God's word, not man's opinion. When you're carrying God's word with you, then... Presume the victory. You've, you've already won. We could go to other passages, Philippians 1, whenever you uh, come together, teaming together for the work of the gospel. We, we assume we're on the winning side. We've already, we've already won this thing. We might lose a battle or two. Or if you want a football analogy, we might mess up a play or two along the way. But who's won the game? What's the final score? God's won it. We're on the winning team. We've we've the Super Bowl of life is already we're already part of it. Point out falsehoods. Point out the falsehoods. One world government. Who wants a one world government? Satan, according to the Bible. Who wants nations? God, according to the Bible. So does the Bible mean anything? It doesn't mean we're not supposed to try to get along with everybody on the planet. 
Indeed, we should. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But it also means that we don't give up our principles in the process. It's, you know, when, when we went in Desert Storm, sadly, a lot of them went in uh, to Desert Storm. They, the troops were told to keep their mouth shut. Don't try to evangelize them. Don't try to tell the Muslims about Jesus. Don't try to do that. Just keep your peace. Well, if you're going to go into war, you, you ought to be able to take your God with you. It's just a mistake not to be able to do that. And so a lot of them, uh, it's interesting because I heard a chaplain talk one time. He was a, a chaplain to the military during Desert Storm. And he was saying that Muslims have no respect for anybody that's not willing to die for their religion. So if you're not willing to die for your religion, they don't think it's useful at all. And that's, that was an interesting comment. Still remember, heard that back in the 80s, long time ago, and he was telling us about what had happened while he was over there and what, what they were facing. Point out the falsehoods. Point out the falsehoods that are there. Press the issue. That's rebuke. Lay weight upon it. This is important. Now you learn to do it in context, 2 Timothy, gently. Okay? What did, he, what did he do here with great patience and instruction? You don't come on and just try to blow people away with stuff, but you stand firm and impress upon them the nature of these issues. So press the issue and let the Holy Spirit lead. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Let the Holy Spirit lead. And then, what's the last one? Exhort, encourage. Okay? Uh, what, what is that? Partner with other people in the truth. In the truth. What are we doing? Preach the Word. Okay? How do we go about doing that? Anytime. The opportunity avails us. And it's okay to seek opportunities. If, if you say, well, I never have any opportunities. Have you prayed about not having any opportunities? Pray about having opportunities. And then get ready <laughs> in season and out. Because they will present themselves. God likes prayers like that. People say, God never hears my prayers. Or what are you praying for? Mercedes Benz. Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I'm a, some of us remember that Janis Joplin song from a long, long time ago. Uh, <clears throat> anyway... These are five key elements of ministry. Now, we're going to look at them individually. And you probably already figured that out from all the fill-in-the-blanks that are on this, this page. But we're going to take a look because we're going to let the Bible teach us. This is, this, is, this is not Drew's words that we're looking at. We're just looked up what the Word had to say about what does it mean to proclaim the Word. And then we're going to let the Bible teach us. We'll go to the Bible. You can read the verses for yourself. I'll, I'll read them to you. Proclaim the word. First thing is that preachers of the, of the Lord are needed. Oh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. John chapter 4. Beseech the Lord of the harvest that he may send out more workers into the field. That's still valid, folks. It's still valid. We see that going on in, in places all over the world. And what do, what do they want? We need somebody to come teach us. We need somebody to give us materials. We need somebody to come join us over here. Because in spite of persecution in the world, 
that the church in a lot of ways is growing. It's not that it's as healthy as it should be, but it is indeed getting larger. In China, it's growing by 20,000 people a day. That was the last estimate I heard, that 20,000 people a day converting to Christianity. But when over a billion people are there in China, and 45,000 people more a day are being born than are dying, you're losing, we're losing out by 25,000 people a day. See what, what the problem is? Population is growing faster than we can get the gospel out. So what do we need? To remove a lot of people from the planet? No, that's the one-worlder's viewpoint. What we need to do is get more workers into the field, out into the harvest. Preachers of the Lord are needed. Romans 10:12. there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all. Who call upon him, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Hmm. That's quoted out of the Old Testament, isn't it? Even for the Jews, for in the nation of Israel, they were supposed to bring glad tidings of good things. Now preach the gospel even in adversity. Preach the gospel even in adversity. First Thessalonians two nine. First Thessalonians two nine. For you recall, brethren, our labor or hardship how working night and day so as to not be a burden to any of you we proclaim the gospel to you the gospel of God this is Paul's first visit to Thessalonica <coughs> as we know Thessalonica became a model church because of their faith hope and love and how did Paul bring them the gospel he went there and he made tents he was a tent maker. It was a bivocational pastor. Because whenever he went into a place, he did not ask anybody for money when he went in to evangelize. Either people sent him, and he, uh, he used that, those funds to go to a new place, or if he was led there by the Spirit, he went there and started making tents. He figured out a way to, to feed himself and his crew. They went in and they started making tents. And so he was not a burden on anybody when he went there. Okay. Now later he writes that the workman is worthy of his wages. So once that is established, they should be taking care of the, of the pastor, of the teacher. They should be doing that. But it's not an issue when you're given the gospel. That's why we are supposed to support people who can take the gospel to a lost, dying world. So they don't have to ask them for money when they go into a village. It's so amazing. I've told the story about uh, Bob Thompson being called in by the uh, mayor of one of the cities or something. And uh, uh, it was a Muslim lady who wanted, said, uh, sent word, said, you and I think Dr. Charlie be at my house tomorrow at noon for lunch. 
Well, when the mayor asked you to dinner, will you go to dinner? So they went to dinner, and they found out that there had been evangelists come through. They said Jesus was going to be in the airport in Dar es Salaam, okay, on a certain day. And what you needed to do was give all your stuff away and go make the trip. Of course, guess who they were supposed to give it to? And then this, this guy took it and left. And she said, you've come in to our town and said, we know you've been here. We've been watching what you're doing. And you have not asked them for anything, but you have given them everything. And said, you can come back anytime you'll come back. See, we're doing it the way it should have been done. And so when it went in, she said, yeah, you have, you have our blessings. In spite of the fact she was a Muslim. And we were Christians, and it was quite obvious. Preach the gospel even in adversity. I know a lot of the uh, uh, people that, that minister to persecuted people, they want to go where the persecution is because, you know, if you're not over the target, you don't get any flack. So if you're given the gospel <laughs> and you're not getting any flack, uh, they wonder how effective it is. But if people are still given the gospel... Whenever it's been outlawed in a lot of countries, and they're still telling people about the gospel, and they end up paying a price for it at times. But they, it's they don't care about the price. Count the cost, like Bonhoeffer said. Count the cost. Well, the cost is very mild compared to what we're going to get for eternity. So preach the gospel even in adversity. Preach Christ everywhere. First Timothy three sixteen. He says, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Yeah. Where are we supposed to preach him? Everywhere we go. Uh, St. Francis, or Francis of Assisi, said, preach the gospel all the time and sometimes use words. Very interesting comment. Uh, made by him, he said. Uh, if, if <laughs> kind of like Horton paraphrased, if there, if you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And that's what he. That's basically what he's saying. You do what is right. You function like a Christian. You don't lie, cheat, and steal any to anybody. You, you treat people with respect, with honor. How did Christ te- treat the unbelievers? How did he treat the sinners, the publicans, and the tax collectors? He ate dinner with him, didn't he? He caught a lot of flack over that, didn't he? Anyway, preach Christ everywhere. Now, what are we supposed to preach? Now, on uh, Easter or Resurrection Sunday, as we had last week, what do we preach? Because Resurrection Sunday, we talk about a lot of things that are about Christ. First thing that we want to preach is his deity. His deity. 2 Corinthians 1.19 He's not just a good man. He's not just a good man who, um, you know, walked around Galilee for three and a half years and then got in trouble with the Romans and put on a cross and disappeared and people turned him into a myth. That's how he's referred to at times. The fundamental myth of the religion of Christianity. That's the way the world refers to it. But he's God that became flesh. And we need to know that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 19. For the Son of God, 
Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. Preach his deity. The next thing we want to preach is his crucifixion, right? And it's what we talked about last week. That's from 1 Corinthians 1.23, where Paul says, We preach Christ crucified. What's he combating there at Corinth? Combating a bunch of people that are arguing over who baptized who and using it to play one-upmanship games with one another. I was baptized by Paul and I of Cephas and I of Apollos and then some of the more holy ones and I of Christ. And Paul jumped right dead square in the middle of that one, didn't he? And he answered back. He said, I don't even remember who I baptized. You know, he said, maybe some of you, maybe not. That's not the important thing. <clears throat> but preach his crucifixion, that's where this verse is found. Not that I was baptized, but preach that Christ was crucified. See, where's, who gets the glory there? Where's the importance about it? Then preach his resurrection, Christ's resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. But if Christ is preached... Here's our word. See, it just keeps popping up. That he has been raised from the dead. How does some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? What do you preach about him? He's God in the flesh. He died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. And you also preach about his lordship. <clears throat> now, I'm not talking about lordship salvation that adds a whole bunch of things into salvation including predestination election and all the stuff that goes with that second corinthians 4 5 says we do not preach ourselves but christ as lord okay so whenever whenever uh, fame or something starts coming to one who is proclaiming god's word don't take the credit if it's getting through, it's the Holy Spirit and the Lord who's doing it. And so, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ is Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. Who are we? When Paul wrote several times, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord. That was one of the greatest things, a doulos is the word. And it is not one who is forced into slavery. That's not what a bondservant is. A bondservant is one who has chosen to serve the master because of the goodness of the master. And so when we say a bondservant of the Lord, it means we've chosen to serve. That's what it means. Preach his, his lordship. Now the next thing we want to do is presume victory. That's the stand over, ephestami word. These are, these are neat words to run into. And again, it's, a, it's an aorist tense. It's what is called a constitutive aorist, which means you do it from time to time and you take this opportunity and you seize it. That's why it's a point of time uh, aorist, but you do it more than one time. And to stand over epistemi, uh, it means that you are coming from a position of victory. I'm bringing you a message from the king. Okay? And this is what the message says. Okay? It's not that we're great or anything else. It doesn't mean we've put our foot on the enemy's neck and, and get ready to cut off his head. We haven't. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying the message we have brought is so very important that it's worth listening to. And if you kill me for bringing the message, 
so be it. Fine. What better way to go? When you come with the authority of the Lord, you should presume victory. Multiple verses go with this. <clears throat> An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. That's the shepherds. What happened? They were confronted with them. And the angels are going to say, they're going to proclaim that which is true, and it is, it is accurate. Acts 12, 7. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared. This is our word, stood over. <clears throat> and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him. Now, have you ever been woken up by an angel? Maybe some wild dreams or something. You're going, huh? But here is the, the, an angel. And he's waking Peter up. Because guess what the church had been doing? Praying for Peter's release from the prison. I love this chapter. I love this passage. <clears throat> because they've been praying diligently into the night for Peter's release. So God says, okay, we're going to have a little fun here. Go wake him up. So an angel comes in, pokes him in the side, gets him up, and gets him out of the prison and takes him to the house where they're praying. They're holding an all-night prayer meeting. You know, for Peter's release, <laughs> and he knocks, <laughs> knock on the door and open the door, and a little servant girl just scares her to death, and she runs, shuts the door, runs back in the house, and, I, it, it, and they couldn't believe it. Now, have we ever been that way? We're praying for something, the Lord answers the prayer in a wondrous way, and we go, I don't believe that. <laughs> well, that's what happened to that early church group. Now. This is in accord with the plan of God for your life. We're going to see in 2 Timothy 4.6 where this says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure, my leaving, my standing over has come. And this is one of the greatest things that could ever be said about us. This is what Paul said under the inspiration of the Spirit without bragging or boasting. I have fought the good fight. That's what he said. He knew what the good fight was and he fought it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. This is the race of life. It's over and done. But then the last one. I've kept the faith. Now that's what we're called to do is be faithful. And he said in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but to everybody who has loved, his appearing. <laughs> now what we just read, he's going to judge by his appearing and his kingdom. Okay? His birth, his ra the rapture, the second advent, and the kingdom that is to follow the thousand years of the millennial reign. You do not have to feel victorious to assume this position. Now, <clears throat> this is 2 Timothy 4.2. Sometimes we don't feel uh, like anything, right? But he's saying, when you come there, you don't, ha you don't have to feel that way. You don't stand over somebody from arrogance. But you stand over because you're on the victor's side as an authorized messenger of the good news. This is, this is an assault on the enemy's camp when you think about it. You have shown up at the enemy's camp and you are giving the gospel 
that is about redemption, where you don't have to be that, that slave anymore. And D is <clears throat> look for opportunities. Look for opportunities. Mark 14:11 says, They were glad when they heard this <clears throat> and promised to give him money. Who's this? Mark 14, end of Mark. It's got to be Judas betraying the Lord. And they were glad when they heard that he was going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. Promised to give him money and began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Now, that means that do we look for opportunities? We look for opportunities to do good. Now, if they can use opportunities to do bad, we can certainly do it the other way. And that just turning the flaming arrows of the evil one back on him. I see that as an important part of this Christian life. So presume victory whenever we do it. Next week, we're going to look at the falsehoods. Point out the falsehoods and what, what needs to be done there. Whenever we start exposing things, how, how do we go about exposing them and why? It's an important question. How do we do it? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for our Lord. We thank you for the instructions that you give us, the how-tos. And Father, we have the basic principles now. Once again, it's been reinforced in our souls. And Father, I pray that you would provide opportunities. And whenever the opportunities arise, that we wouldn't run from them. And Father, we would stand firm and deliver the message that you have sent that, say, that can save the world. Father, I pray we'd see the importance of the message, put the messenger ourselves aside, and see the importance of other people getting on the boat and joining us forever in his eternal kingdom. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.